Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Ryan George, CMO of DocuPace. DocuPace is a platform for paperless tools basically designed to automate your back office or the financial advisor's back office, that is, and eliminate a lot of the heavy lifting and pain that we go through on a daily basis. And with that, here's my interview with Ryan. Ryan, thanks for taking the time today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. I'm excited to talk to another person who's passionate about this space as much as I am. I am very passionate about doing less heavy lifting when it comes to paperwork every day of the week. I can tell you that much. So, Ryan George of DocuPace, tell us about DocuPace. So, DocuPace is a platform that helps make business easier. So, think about pushing paperwork, applications, account updates, anything you need to do to service a client, whether it's a regulatory document, account application, what have you. We want to make it make, make it more digital, make it easier, make it more auditable, and make it more connected to the different systems that you would have within the firm. So. Take, for instance, your CRM, your financial planning software, and your custodian. We want to be a cohesive glue that helps connect those systems together as you integrate throughout the te technology stack that you have at your wealth management firm. That is no small lift, especially when we start talking about custodial integrations. Yes, the um, custodians, we have the, the benefit of working with all the major custodians uh, at different levels. And that's one of the things that I think DocuPace really can bring unique value at too, is that we we can centralize a process regardless of the custodian who you may be working with. We can actually put the firm and the, the firm and its different offices on a single process of workflow that can then work with different custodians. So I think that there's a, there's value in that as far as being able to have people work from you know step one to step one, regardless of where you come from, and then step five is will be step five regardless of where it's going. Excellent. So before we jump into basically the how this all gets done, let's talk about the history. How did DocuPace come to be? So DocuPace has a long history. So we, I like to think of us as a, we're a 21-year-old startup. So we, uh, Michael Pinsker founded our company back in the early 2000s. And we started as, as document management, document storage, not even specifically to wealth management. Uh, in 2008, 7-8-ish, uh, we started to focus, got a FINRA approval for following all the FINRA guidelines in terms of security and storage. Um, then we sort of dived into that business and have been in that business ever since. Most recently, the company took uh, an ejection of growth capital from FDB Capital based in San Francisco in New York back in April 2020, brought in David Nock, who was our CEO, who has subsequently brought in myself and a handful of other executives who have really sort of steered the company in its future direction and where we are today. Excellent. So let's pull back and talk about effectively what you are, right? And in a lot of ways, you're kind of a stripe for connecting advisor systems, right? You're this back office, you're basically a, pro, you're a bunch of protocols connecting everything in the back end. Is that a fair approximation? Yes. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, we pride ourselves in being not necessarily having to be the superstar out in front of the in front of the curtain. I think a lot of what we do is working with and working for people who are sometimes in the in the background of the business. So whether it's connecting to the CRM and having a wireframe into that business or another level of deep integration. We're happy for people to be able to leverage our system, regardless if they ever come into our system directly, they can leverage it through a, one of our handful of you know, 35 or 36 or so integrations. 35 or 36 integrations in this space is not a small lift. And yeah, so you're, you're basically the Wizard of Oz. You're hiding behind the curtain, but you're, you're, you're pulling the levers to make, the, uh, to make it all work. Yeah, you know, I never, you know, I never thought I would always dream to be like the Tin Man or the Lion. I never thought I'd grow up to want to be the Wizard. But hey, you know, sometimes you just got to go down the path that you're granted, right? That's it. All right. So you mentioned a couple of integration points. We talked about CRM. We talked about um, we talked about the custodians as well. You know, you mentioned thirty six integration points. So what exactly, like what what's what all parts of the advisor experience are you touching? Sure. So I think where we sit is sort of so. Let's, we'll talk about sort of the full journey. So 
we own a company called Precise FP, which I know you know well, Jason. So that, that often is the start of a client advisor journey where he's got the, the client, he or she is delivering information to he or she, the advisor, who then can pull it into the CRM bi-directionally, which then that can then populate a financial planning system so that they can create the financial plan or at least create the proposal or create the portfolio that they're looking for. Then that information can, whatever is determined, can go into DocuPace where we have different form bundles and data validations to take that information where it doesn't have to be rekeyed in to the forms. It can actually be sucked in directly and be validated so that to prevent a NIGO or rejection of that form. And then once that goes back to the client, client can do an e-signature through, uh, we have you know, DocuSign and SignX, our partners, as well as DocuBase has our own digital signature solution. Then that can go off to the custodian and get to get fulfilled overnight. So that's that process is often and historically, if you were talking about paper and mail, it takes you know several days and several steps, even maybe longer than a week. Um, DocuBase can do so all within you know one day if all the steps are followed correctly. Yeah, and where you fit nicely is you know a lot of these vendors have been working on solutions that basically maybe integrate with one or two partners or take part take care of part of the channel, right? So I can I can have something that will acquire data and populate a PDF and do docu and do e-signature, but it doesn't necessarily flow to account opening, right? You know, there's, it stops. So, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the sad, not fully integrated pieces I see around here is around the space is, hey, let's, let's get to a, let's get to a PDF. <laughs> and that is the most frustrating thing in my life is that, let me get this straight. You built all this digital front end to basically replicate the experience of a, of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Yeah. Which has been around for a long time, right? So a fillable PDF is another thing. So I think, here's where I think we are today. So I think in yeah. The early 2000s, we sort of had these wirehouse, almost mainframe systems where everything was a locked technology ecosystem tech stack where it was one system, um, it was pretty crude in terms of what it was able to do. And what happened is that led to this explosion of innovation. If you look at like the fits the, the kits as FinTech map, it's ridiculous in terms of all these different options that are there. So yep. you went from sort of all in one to like point solution. Now I think where we think we're at is more of a sort of most in one solutions to where you're actually picking some four or five best of breed that actually can provide the tech stack versus having, you know, I heard at a conference recently in T3 that somebody had 29 different technologies within the firm. And I thought, how could anybody ever coming into that firm, like a new employee, make sense of that? And how, you know, like, there's no way that that would be efficient, right? If you have all these systems in place, you're really just going in and out of different systems all day instead of having that experience really be more streamlined. Yeah, well, exactly, right? So instead of having the, it's... I mean, and that's that's the normal evolution, right? You 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 different parts get integrated by different people, but there's always almost someone in the middle, always paying air traffic controller. You've taken care of that assistant who sits there, moving from one system to another, and integrated all those pieces around. So, so talk to me about like a case study. Give me a case study of of someone you've dealt with, whereby they were they didn't have this interconnectivity. What kind of experience change did they see within their company, and what kind of productivity gains did they get out of this? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest one that comes up is our biggest client is RBC Wealth Management, which is we work with the wealth management arm that's based in the Minnesota, U.S., right? <laughs> in the U.S., yes, in the U.S. So I don't want to be, be clear on that. So they had come to us, they had working, they had a technology that was antiquated. And what they did is they decided we're going to start from scratch in terms of we're, we're going to rebuild everything. So they made the selection of working with Salesforce um, as their CRM. So building that out, uh, which, which you know, we built an integration with Salesforce. And then working with, see, what they really had was they were they, they realized that they were behind in terms of where other systems were. So they went through the full IP process. DocuBase was able to win that business. And what we did is sort of digitally enable account opening. We actually built a formless system 
to where think of it like TurboTax to where instead of having to enter the information into a form, I can enter it into just to a questionnaire, a question box, and sort of a simple click to accept procedure. What we're most proud of is so over the last 12 months, DocuBase has been used by RBC and RBC clients to fill over 286,000 transactions and processed almost a million documents. So that was in a 12-month period. And that's all in a system that's, that's been relatively brand new and really built, customized, and, and configured to the RBC's business. So it's right now you know, about 70 to 80% of all of their account volumes are going through this process, which I think is a huge lift uplift to a business like that who, at the scale at which they're performing, any incremental gain in terms of work efficiency can have a huge impact on not only the bottom line, but the experience of the employee, the client, and the advisor. That is a astounding number. Uh, I mean, then again, a company with that kind of scale can produce those accounting numbers. Now, I'm curious, was there any kind of benchmarking done on time saved in terms of that processing? I don't have those numbers offhand. We do have some calculators that we've used based on other data. The challenge with time saved, and th- this is something that we have struggled with, is mm. That only accounts for half of the equation, right? So if I save an advisor time, I'm not guaranteed that the advisor is then going or assistant is going to then go spend that time wisely and being more efficient. So I think we're trying to find that delta in terms of, yes, we're opening the door, closing this door so you don't have to work on X, but then here's how you can do Y. And I think that comes back to our sort of coaching with our, with our clients and actually providing them with systems where they can give more focused time. And that's that's always going to be a challenge The the Often it's not the technology, it's the humans um, that become the inefficiency in the system. And so trying to find where that is. It's, yeah, I mean, it's time saved can be consumed in other ways if it's not productive. Absolutely. I think it's, it's more so the, I don't think anyone thinks that the highest, best use of a human being is pushing paper between two systems. Yeah. yeah and one of the things that I think we do have an average mailing is somewhere between like $1.78 in terms of processing paper or stamps with our e-delivery system for like Form ADB. Or for the form CRS, every time we save that, we know you can calculate directly that's $1.78 saved per envelope. And I think that that's, that's something that I think is really impactful because a lot of those letters, the lifespan is like 20 seconds, right? It goes from inbox to trash can yep. uh, in a handful of seconds where you can fulfill the same regulatory uh, compliance by delivering electronically, just not having to spend the money, the same amount of money to do so. Yeah, I mean, there's also something to be said about the fact that if you're pushing from one to the, if you're sitting in the middle there, you're able to also make sure that there's data validity, right? Like, so for example, making sure that it doesn't get pushed to the to the custodian or whoever else it's going to when you don't have all the data necessary for the custodian, right? Like, there's a there's a capture there. So the fact that I'm sure that in addition to the productivity gains, just based off of the fact you're flowing these stuff this stuff through, you're also creating productivity gains just by verifi- verification of of data prior to the point where it gets rejected. Sure. I mean, industry average is around between 25, 27% of a NIGO rate for a large enterprise, which sounds extremely high because it is. On DocuBase, it's below 3% for our clients. And so that's that's an easy number for us to tell as far as if one of every piece of paperwork is getting sent back for incorrect information, invalid or missing information, what have you, that's a pretty big gap in the system that we help close. Absolutely. So. And, and geez, you know, talk about productivity gains yet again, because I think we're frustrating than missing a, a single piece of information when you're trying to get a large case open. So let's talk about the experience of working with you. Now, you're a bit of a different experience in that you're probably more of a, it's the back office tech people working with you as opposed to the front office people. To the front office people, yet again, 
you're the Wizard of Oz. It's just magic. It works. Talk to me about the experience that the developers and the tech people have in working with you guys. Is it all, is it basically, is it a centralized console? Is it a bunch of APIs? How do you make this all work? Sure. So um, APIs are a big part of our integrations, a big part of our, our systems and how we can connect systems together. I, mean, I think one of the things that the back office people really appreciate about DocuBase is it provides tracking and dashboards where if a paperwork gets submitted, they can, and somebody was to call and say, hey, where's Joe and Sally's application? You can pull up the dashboard and see where it is in the system. I think that's, versus it being sort of a black hole, you submit it and just wait for it to come back. I think that that's a big, big benefit. On the advisor sort of field-facing side, that's where we're really looking to advance our customer experience and invest more in that customer experience so that as we move into more direct-to-advisor or direct-to-user sales experience, as we have we built out this productivity suite for RAAs, we know we have to get better there because the needs of those people is a little bit different than the back office professionals. So those two personas, so to think of the processor in the back office versus the person in the field, those are two, two areas that we're really looking to invest and improving that experience in this year and moving forward. Well, and that makes sense because that's much more, far more on trend with what I'm seeing in a lot of the no-code space, right? It's basically, look, you could have the different version of an ivory tower sitting in the background and the tech people coming up with all this, but a lot of what gets needs to be action is understood by the frontline people, right? And if you can get them empowered with basic tools to basically streamline what it is they need to get done and, and take, you know, I guess, in a lot of ways, download that logic or that thinking to people closer to the front lines, you get a lot faster response rates, a lot more efficiencies, and a lot more happening faster because now you have, you've democratized it to some degree. Yeah, and there's trends pushing in our direction. So there's a retirement trend. So think of a sales assistant or operations assistant who's in out, outside an RA and a wealth management firm who's been doing it for 15 years. They need to get that next person who's going to be taking over that role to some degree whenever they're ready to be easily to do the same thing. It's not possible for them to take a manual process that they've developed in their mind that's not written down and be able to transfer that to another employee, whereas using a tool in a system that has that streamlined workflow, you can do so. In addition to that, I think what you're saying is the RA market matures. A lot of what got them there is not going to be able to get them to the next point because they're working at a much grander scale than they had in the past. And so I think that those are two opportunities that are really pushing the level of interest in a tool like Document. Excellent. Uh, well, I would think so. The and it's one of those things too, where people naturally look at a situation whereby the they basically okay, the old system is being is being kind of worn down or or basically like in some cases retiring or as, as human beings or basically things are things are being decommissioned. You know, in some in the software world, how do we use this not just as a triage moment to basically get someone in doing something similar? but to rethink the entire thing and, and, and look for that efficiency. So it's the old, never let a good crisis go to waste piece, right? If you have, uh, you have a, a change moment, use that opportunity. You know, and I was just at a round table with full of operations leaders. And the thing that, it was the same thing at the FSI, the Financial Services Institute, One Voice Conference in January, there is a very, very severe war for talent going on in this industry. For people, not necessarily financial advisor talent, but the other people who brought out and filled out their business. And I think antiquated processes and pushing paper are going to be less interesting to people who want to be movers and shakers within the business. That's just, it's not going to how they're going to want to spend their time every day. Well, I also say, and this, is, this comes up all the time when people talk to me about what technology should be implementing on an enterprise level. My response is, listen, I can give you a bunch of solutions that will do the job. The bigger issue is, do you have the people in management or middle management with the vision for how this all comes together, which is, a, it, and it's a very difficult thing to fill because it's a Venn diagram 
to make it really work. It's a Venn diagram of people who understand the frontline experience of the consumer and the advisor, people who understand the enterprise needs in terms of processing, and people who understand the digital realm as to what's possible and being able to tie that all together. And that is a very, I mean, like to me, those are the single most valuable people in, in our enterprises these days. It's basically understanding the entire, that this is a end-to-end integration play. Every business is, is an end-to-end integration play. But if yeah. you don't understand the needs on both ends and how to make this all work while creating a superb client and user experience, you're just going to get resistance. Yeah, you're not going to be able to move as fast as the others. You're not going to be able to seize all the opportunities. Plus, you know, the dollars from a client dollars tend to find those that are, right? It's like money tends to flow downhill. I mean, water tends to flow downhill. Money tends to flow to where it finds the less friction. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so yes, yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think it's also, I also think that in a lot of ways, the people who were in charge of doing those processes in their heads, who can learn to translate that into something that someone can build in the code and manage and steward process is going to be incredibly valuable. Because once that stuff is laid down, it becomes a job of not just making sure you go from point A to point B. It becomes a job of, we need a new process. We need to add this thing. Yeah. How do we put this in here without breaking everything else and stewarding the entire, really it's about stewarding the entire process, which you did with people before, a little bit easier. When you do it with, with, with technology, things can break. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of it as like, I live in Texas. I really love a basement in my house. However, putting in a basement after the house is built is very difficult, but there's other things that you can do in order to tweak the house to make it more efficient. And I think that's what, what we try to do be a doc base. And that's why integrations and other things are so important is even like with the productivity suite that we build, you don't have to buy the whole thing. If your business has a, has something, a need here, you can take a capability and put it into your system. Or if you need to build the whole house, right? We have that ability as well. And I think being, having that flexibility where, again, and somewhat being agnostic to where an advisor sits and spends their time all day, I think that that actually benefits us in being able to help more firms. Absolutely. Now, you guys predominantly started off as, again, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. You took out a, or took out, you purchased and and acquired a frequent, semi-frequent guest of the show in Precise yep. FP. Care to talk about what the impetus for that acquisition was and how you see it fitting into the big picture? Sure. Well, one, not only was Precise a very well-liked and well-used tool by financial advisors, we thought the data that the data gathering process is in the friction there and the challenges there are very similar to the challenges that we at DocuBase had historically looked to solve. So there's alignment there. We like the business, the growth of the business. I think the pandemic really drove a, a growth in you know digital data gathering because we weren't able to face to face to gather that information. So we saw a lot of growth there. And really what I think is great about the tools, there's so many uses for being able to for one person to get data from another person. And that's never going to go away in this business. So I think that that's been a big part. And what we've done since that acquisition is really worked with Don Whalen and Sebastian Skororik, the others at the firm, to help sort of build out an enterprise model to serve sort of larger enterprise RA firms and, and broker dealers. And we're really just getting started. I mean, we have a ton of interest in that space, in that tool. And I think we're trying, we're continually finding new use cases for it to work with, say, our advisor transitions process or even our account opening process, all those things to figure out how the two different tools together uh, can really create a, a comprehensive solution. Well, it makes, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's one of those, I guess, in a lot of ways, it's like we were talking about earlier about empowering the end user to some degree, right? That tool is incredibly, has been incredibly well utilized by frontline advisors to build out their their automations. I mean, I've done some pretty crazy things with it, quite honestly, that have definitely helped improve my practice. And that ability to do so powered with flowing through to your back office technology 
you know, that's just, you know, that's, you're the, that's the front of the funnel. And it's a, it's a great way to get that data in there and start actioning it. Yeah. And the, and the, the benefit of Precise P2 is it can be, it's so configurable that it really advisor who serves a specific niche or has for serving a specific type of customer can configure it to fit, like to, you, to your point, to their specific needs to actually fit their practice. And I think a lot of tools say they can be, they can be manipulated to match, um, to match what an advisor may need. I don't think they have that same level of configurability that Precise IP has built into it. And it's really been genius with Don and Sebastian and the others have been able to do. Yeah, they have. And it's one of those things about, it's a wonderful tool for not just building, as I said before, not just building the function, but building the experience, right? Because the ability to embed things like video into it, right? And, and be able to turn something that's an administrative function into a, another touch point with a consumer where you can basically say to someone, hey, thank you so much for trusting me. I know administration sucks, but we got to go through this. It's going to take five minutes and give contextual help. It's 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 incredibly powerful. And it's funny because I've, I've, I've known some people who tried it, felt a little overwhelmed by it, like, oh, this this is too rigid for me. And it's just like, rigid, no, no, what are you trying to do? And when you just, you spend a little bit of time on it, the things you can pull out uh, and, and do with that thing are incredible. And, and one of the exciting things that we were doing this year is, you know, as a benefit of being part of a larger company as DocuPace, we've hired Nora Gallegos, who has industry experience, and she's been brought on as a content leader for that tool, and is going, and will be going out and engaging with different customers and just seeing what what other content needs to be built into the tool, and working with what we call a publisher feature, so third-party firms like a Charles Schwab or even a TDA that has content that they want to put into the tool, we can build that into as well. So I think there's you're going to see a lot of new things coming for Precise FP in the coming year, and I think that's something that's very exciting for us because it's something that we can. It's a big benefit and a way to reward those loyal customers who've been using the tool for a long time. Absolutely. So that's where you are currently. Where do you see the development going from here on? I think we're still, there's two things that I think are really important for DocuPace. One is continuing to find ways to open up our APIs so that outside development can connect with our system easier so that we're not having to lift everything ourselves. I think that's something that will help with our growth, help with our connectivity as we work with other firms Say here, you know, sign this form, get authorization, and here's access to our development portal so that you can help develop things with us. And mm-hmm. so it's more of a partnership, but I think that's huge. The other thing is finding ways to really, really get better with data and really help help firms understand data better. I think that it's people say that a lot and that comes up a lot, but I haven't seen much movement. I feel like this industry has been having the same conversation for multiple years now, as far as we all know that this data is flows through rivers beneath our feet, but we don't really know what what's in it. And I think mm-hmm. we're really trying to figure out ways to have applicable use cases for that. Absolutely. So that's, uh, again, one of these things where I hope to see your name a lot, but just behind the scenes, because <laughs> that's frankly, uh, but you're right. I think the entire, I mean, this is the entire empowering of everybody else to spend development cycles on building what they want and their custom configuration into your system is incredibly valuable because the alternative is you you have to almost bespoke modify your system for every vendor you deal with. And that's just non-scalable. Yeah, we've learned that. I think other the benefit of being where we are in our mature, maturity as a company is we've sort of learned that lesson and have moved past it. A lot yeah. of people are still in the throes of learning that lesson. And it's a painful lesson to learn. It is a hard lesson, especially when you start off. And I've seen this happen with countless companies where you know they have the one big enterprise customer driving their driving their development. But the problem is you end up building they end up building something bespoke to that company and then they can't sell it elsewhere. And the companies who've learned their lesson have gotten to the point where, you know, I know one in particular who learned this lesson the hard way and the new company they started, they're like, 
nope, we're not doing any customizations. Here's the API. We made it as easy as possible for you to do it. We'll work with you on that, but we are not building into the core system. And at first, I think some people take it back to that, but then I think the when they go to their tech teams, the tech teams get it. Like they, they fully get that. Well, to use a, you know, another Wizard of Oz, it takes a lot of courage in order to... Uh... To, to do that, especially when you're starting off and, you, and you're desperate for customers. And, and it's like I said before, you know, I was share a side story with, uh, with a company I, I met with one time and they had kind of three functions in their software. And I said, let me see if they can tell you what your history was. And I said, you know, the first, you came up with the first thing and it was, it was industry leading at the time. I'm sure it was looking at it when you came out. And then people said, well, it'd be nice if it also did this. So you built this other thing that was separate from it. And now you were maintaining two softwares and one was a crappy version of something that could have got something somewhere else. And then your main product suffered. And then you did it a third time. And then you did it a fourth time. And now you're no longer at the cutting edge anymore. You're no longer world-class because your dev cycles have been supporting four things. And they're like, you just summed up our entire history. And the problem is, is that they were just hemorrhaging sales because of it. Because unfortunately, left to their own, left to their devices, left, sometimes your clients will lead you down the path of destruction. It's a matter of knowing where to draw the line and say, this is what's good for the for us. That's going to service you. And this is how we're going to solve the problem. We're not going to bespoke build a solution solely for your, for your company. And it's a hard argument when you're young. It's unbelievably true. I think a lot of times it's very common people talk about technology debt. I also try to bring up the idea of technology bloat. It's the same, yes. it has the same detriment to your business. It's just not as always thought of the same. And I think it's just, it's hard to do. And I, I, I sat down with the CEO of a fairly large custodian a year ago or so ago. And he started, we got maybe 90 seconds of the conversation. He said, I bet your clients can really screw your business up, can't, can't they? Oh, you already get it. Like you understand exactly what those situations that we're in. So it's, I think it's, people are being more aware of it. I just, in practice, I think it's still finding that people want to take their, say, analog process and make it digital, which isn't necessarily the best one. Yeah, it's funny. I find one of the best examples for this is when people look to, when large companies look to implement SAP. Uh, and I've known many, comp many friends at many large scale enterprises and consultants. And it's the same story every time. You either modify your processes to fit SAP or it's a disaster every time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And, it's, and, it's, and, and it's not a reflection of SAP being bad. No. In any stretch, it's, it's the, humans, the human practice of it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it's, it's, and I get it. People are like, well, why can't you just do this thing? Even with my, like my Salesforce limitation, my, my business partner, he wanted me to, he basically said like, well, why can't we just do this? It's so powerful. I'm like, you want me to spend two weeks solving a problem that basically if you just do it this way, it's done already and I don't have to do anything you're going to do it this way. Like, I mean, it's, it's just not fruitful. Yeah. And that's one of our very tenured employees, Ariel Galarte. Um, we have sort of re-engineered re him and his focus to be working with a lot of our historical clients to see how are they using the systems that we have today and how can we improve that and going through and say, making sure sort of sitting through them and watching how they're, they work in their back office and watching the workflows. And I think that will be a huge lift for us in terms of improving, again, improving that client experience because they may be using our system, you know, they may be a 10-year-old client who needs to catch up to how others are using the system today because they, you know, they've been using the system in a sort of an antiquated way. So what it's gotta keep moving. You have to keep moving forward. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. The first is if you had one wish for something to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? I wish there were more positions for women at the top. I think because we're a small company, you know, like I'm one CMO. So I have a director under me who's a, a woman. We have some great women at the director level. I wish there we could continue to find ways to. We just had our head of HR, Christina Cavalli, be named by Wall Solutions Report as the HR Leader of the Year, which is great. But I want to see more of the women that I know and work with every day be elevated and promoted into leadership roles. Excellent. 
it's interesting. The uh, not I won't say it's the most common answer, but the need for greater diversity at certain levels to expand how people or how companies think about things has been a very common answer. So, but not, it's interesting the, the yeah. second one usually has the most uniform, uh, uniform answers. So I'm going to ask you right now, what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? Legacy mindset, I think has been, there's, we have an array of, of our 150 or so employees. I think some of them are very tenured and they've been doing things a certain way. And they, to be completely fair, they've gotten us to where the company is today. However, there is a need to pivot and need to change things in order to get to where we're trying to do what we're trying to move, move faster, be more agile, be more innovative, uh, serve customers in a different way, serve a broader you know, stakeholder set. All those things require some new level of thinking. And mm. so trying to get people to, A, believe in it, right, that this is real, that we're actually doing these things that we promised we're doing, but B, getting them to align themselves with it, I think, is a challenge that we face every day. We're not, it's not unlike any other business, but I think it is something that you're never going to be done with it because you've got to continue to have to push people and engage them and excite them about what we're, where we're headed. So is yeah. that a common answer that you get from everybody? No, it's usually the people, but that's a better answer. And you know what? It's one that we kind of touched upon, which is like quite simply, it's really, it's, it's about organizational cultural change about how work gets done and how to think of work. And it's not surprising there's resistance to that because we have hundreds of years. Well, I mean, we have all of Let's just call it the post-war era, at least. You know, we got like a hundred years of of basically how business worked. And you know, you can you can watch an episode of Mad Men, and yeah, there was a typing pool, but there's there's still the basic structures that existed then that exist today in terms of hierarchy, in terms of how work gets done, of handing off the people. Whereas, like I said earlier, this entire kind of shift away from the people are doing things and understand how to do the thing versus the people are stewarding a process is a very big shift. And I think the COVID pandemic honestly was the biggest employer-employee relationship disruption since World War II. I mean, it's like, we don't really know. There was a lot of debate at the roundtable I was at last week talking about the hybrid workplace and remote workforce and stuff. And people were talking in terms of permanence. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. We are not even out of what's here, folks. Like to say that something's going to last five, 10 years from now, like like there's no way to know. It's which we're just, we're still, we're still very much, you know, the jar is shaking up. Yeah. And the companies are, you know, companies are fighting back and or on some of that. I mean, the reality is the number of positions I saw in a study and they were serving the U.S. looking for jobs that were remote or or hybrid was 4x the number of postings. And so even though people are, happy, are, are still where they were, doesn't mean they're going to stay because they clearly want that flexibility. The question comes down to, you know, meanwhile, companies are trying to force people back to work X number of days per week. And I've seen them failing all the time. But the reality is, is that let's see how this plays out and if people get tired of the isolation or if they businesses have to develop almost tiny branch models where people can go in, you know, don't have to drive into an urban core and, and basically can meet in smaller areas. So there's a, there's a lot still to evolve. Yeah. I mean, what if you didn't have a headquarters, but you had 20 tiny branches? I mean, th- yeah. there's just, there, it's a different thing. And I think we're just really, we're not at the level of creativity to where people are coming up with creative solutions to solve because we don't know what the problem is yet. Like, what am I missing sitting in this office by myself that I don't have if I was sitting in a group with other people? And it's, it's really interesting. I, all the companies I see the headlines of wanting people to come back, I wish I could go to their CEOs and say, okay, if you had no lease and you had no corporate real estate footprint, would you say the same thing? Is it really this, them just trying to account, account for this cost that they have over there? And I, I think a lot of times it probably is. Uh, there is a big part of that. It's it's basically the need to justify why they're spending those dollars. But I also think, and we're sidetracking here, I think in a big way, one of the things that's going to have to change is, is the way landlords operate. It's going to be smaller spaces, smaller, more open spaces that accommodate this. 
And I still see our vacancy where I am in Toronto. The vacancy rate, I think, is now uh, officially hitting 19% on, on commercial property. And the reality is, is that it's, it's the, that night that I don't see anyone partition these things into, into smaller workspaces that are basically going to fit the new, we don't need everybody in the office at the same time model. And so we'll see what happens, but there's a lot to be done in terms of just changing the entire work dynamic. Sorry to, to take us on a little rabbit trail. Oh, it's fine. I mean, I think we've gone on a couple of tangents, but I think they've been incredibly productive and interesting in kind of business philosophy talking. So uh, last piece in the last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight of pushing this ball uphill? So for me, it's my coworkers, my team. As a leader, I don't get the luxury of showing up any other way, but passionate and excited and energized about what we're doing. Because if I'm not, the chances that they could be is pretty difficult. And I think I went through a transition with a job a couple of years ago to where our company was purchased and I was subsequently shown the door. And one of the takeaways that I had from that was I'm never going to spend a day on a job doing something I don't love doing and people I don't love doing. with. And so that's just how I've tried to show up. And it's, it's hard to go through this window on Zoom and and impact people and get them excited. It takes a lot of energy, but I also love doing it. And that's, that's what I try to show up and strive to do each day. Excellent. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jason. That was Ryan George of DocuPace. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you are a RA or broker-dealer looking to basically digitize your backend, definitely take a look. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.